loud. I'm sorry, people. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. There, we got you, Colin. Hello. 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 This is the Ink Stud Show, the radio show where we talk about comics on CITR 101.9 NFM. NFM? On FM? I don't know. I am joined this week by my ever uh, awesome and knowledgeable co-host, Colin Upton. Hi. Hi. And this week, our guest is Ed... Is it Ed Piscor? Yes, sir. Ed Pittsburgh. How you oh. guys doing? Good. How are you doing, Ed? Very cool. Hey, Colin. Nice to meet you, man. Hello. I haven't read enough of your material, man. We, you need to uh, go through some of those comics I sent to Robin, and we should trade some stuff. Oh, sure. Be happy to. Cool. Yeah. Now, uh, Ed is a uh, new collaborator with, well, I guess not so new, because you are in the American Splendor Hour movie year with Mr. Harvey Picar. For those of you that don't know who Harvey Picar is, I guess you've... I haven't been paying attention to anything. <laughs> You've never listened to our show. Yeah. Um, American Splendor, great movie, better comic. Um, so, who are you, Ed? Who am I? Who are you? I'm just I'm just a scumbag lucky enough to draw some comic books, man. <laughs> uh, you know what? You caught me at a good time, too. We're, I'm just decompressing from a few comic conventions that we, that we did over the past uh, week or two. Oh, were you uh, in uh, San Fran for Ape? Uh, no, we, we, I'm, a, I'm an East Coast dweller, so I went to uh, Space, the small press and comic expo, with, with your fellow Canadian, Dave Sim. He, oh. He's the guest of honor at this joint. And uh, we had a good time there, man. Like, I really benefited from uh, a talk that Harvey had at um, Ohio State University, and he, he was kind of pimping the Macedonia book a little bit. And uh, that's not too far from where this convention was being held, so a lot of people were coming to this con really curious about the book, and I had some uh, some printer proofs to show off and things like that, and uh, so we did pretty good there. And uh, just in our hometown, there was a Pittsburgh comic convention that we went to, which was about uh, as, as, as uh, polar opposite from... Uh, the space convention as can be. This is like one of these things they have a lot of B-movie actors. Stormtroopers? Uh, Stormtroopers, a lot of elf, elven people, and uh, they sat us next to uh, this guy who played Jason Voorhees in the Friday the 13th movies a couple of times. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Who's he, that? He stuck a machete into his eyeball and, and he, he, he sort of slid it under his eyeball and he wedged the eyeball out of his eye socket well, are you, you talking about in the movie no at the convention let, let me let me step back for a second <laughs> and tell you what happened i was sharing the table with my buddy pat lewis uh he he's got a book coming out from iadw pretty soon called the claws come out um so we were sharing this table and this convention's in our backyard but we couldn't be closer to invisible at this joint because everybody's there just staring at the uh don't want to be playboy playmate chicks and things like that and uh, they sat us next to this guy that played Jason Voorhees, and Pat went out to get the guy uh, a couple of machetes. He was kind of uh, stranded at the hotel. They flew him in, but they didn't supply him with a car or anything. So, so he offered to, to uh, get the guy some kind of uh, provisions for the hotel room after the show, and he, he said, yeah, grab a couple of machetes, too, <laughs> uh, because I guess he signs the things and hustles them for a lot of cash. So, so he got these machetes, took them out of the pack, and like uh, wiped the the oil or whatever kind of preservatives they they ha- have uh, packaged with those things. And he goes to us. He says, he says, you see that this machete is real. You bought it at a 
Walmart, so you know it has to be legitimate. And he took the thing and he popped it under his eyeball and wedged his eye completely out of the socket. And then it, like, snapped back into place as soon as he, uh, he took the machete out of his eyeball. It was pretty wild. Man. That's crazy. That's yeah. your next comic? <laughs> Could be. We wanted to take pictures of it, but he was very, like, uh, adamant about, no, 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 you can't take pictures of this. If a kid sees it and tries it, I'll be devastated. <laughs> so what if you try it and you, because you watched them? How, how do you try it? How, how do you discover <laughs> the ability to, to wedge your eyeball out of your face? <clears throat> it's got to take a little alcohol. Yeah, that's got to take a couple days straight of alcohol, I think, <laughs> where everything's kind of blurry. It would never occur to me, really, to do that sort of thing. Uh, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> but this is a... Uh, it was pretty cool nonetheless. <laughs> now, let, let's go back to, to you. Um, where did you get your little artistic starting from? Because you're still a pretty young guy from what I understand. But you're still you're doing some uh, pretty epic work. Uh, what could I say, man? Uh, it's one of these things. I've, I've always wanted to be a cartoonist like everybody else you've interviewed. Um, and I was just kind of indecisive about the kinds of comics that I wanted to do. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was destined to draw Lobo and Iron Fist or if I wanted to do something that was was a little bit farther from the mainstream or something. Um, so I guess, like, in a Spider-Man comic, I saw uh, an ad for the Joe Kubert School, which is uh, the school in New Jersey, not too far from New York City, that specializes in teaching uh, animation and... Uh, comic book, narrative storytelling, things like that. And I ended up going there for a year just to try to... I'm, I'm one of these learners who I'm not so good at just learning things on my own, but if I if I see somebody do a, a demo, uh, for instance, if I see somebody inking with a brush, I could kind of pick up a lot of tips from, from seeing that sort of thing. So So it really benefited me to go here and uh, see the tools of the trade actually being used by people who knew how to use them. And then it became apparent to me that I really didn't need to continue going to the school. So I just uh, got a regular 9-to-5 gig, paid off the school loans for that joint, uh, all the while just working on my own strips. And uh, as I would finish a strip here, strip there, um, I developed this, this address book of, people and places that I was sending these things for no real reason, just maybe to get a pointer or two here or there, um, never thinking that I could get any work. And uh, lo and behold, Harf, Harf calls me at the house, and I had a real hard time believing that <laughs> it was really him because the movie was fresh, fresh out in the, in the theaters, and I had to drag a couple buddies to go see this thing. Um, and my one buddy, he ha- he can do a really great Harvey P. Carr impersonation. So, <laughs> so, so I get this phone call from Harvey P. Carr, and I just thought it was a vicious joke that uh, my buddy was trying to pull on me. But then uh, Harvey was like, what the hell are you talking about? It's really me. Uh, and I believed him. He sent me some scripts not too long after that, and we've just been maintaining this uh, this uh, working relationship, which, is, which has been pretty cool. Now, uh, at the Underground's... Uh, really been something that you've always kind of been into as a comic aficionado? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that that's where I get probably a solid 75% of my artistic inspiration, which is probably pretty weird because even a lot of those guys would say that some of that material was, was uh, just pornography or something like that. Uh, but I really, I really liked uh, some of that real, real obscure stuff that really didn't make any sense. Um, did you ever see that movie, Comic Book Confidential? Oh, yes. I have the poster on my wall. Yeah, that, that's an awesome flick, and I saw it at the perfect age. It was on, it was on regular cable, well, probably HBO or something down here in the States. And uh, I saw this thing, and I was into comics already, reading X-Men, Spider-Man, stuff like that. And in a weird way, I just, I, I was so, I was so confused by the comics that they were highlighting. You know, I, I read in the TV guide that this movie was going to be playing it, so I was expecting to see all kinds of X-Men this and Spider-Man that. And I felt a little gypped that, um, you know, they were talking about some guy named Robert Crumb who is doing comics about a cat, but it wasn't like Garfield or something cool like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, But all of the names of everybody in that flick really stuck into my head. And over the years, um, I would go to the comic shop and just, just uh, see different work by these people, and I figured I might as well check it out, see what it's all about, and I really, really fell in love with that stuff. So my major influences are mostly people from that flick, and uh, just in reading interviews with these guys and seeing who their influences are, I started to study the works of those people as well. Um, but the underground guys, I'd say Crumb... Um, Chrome in particular is, uh, yeah, they're tops on my list, man. Well, uh, I was looking at Macedonia and uh, photocopies of the beats, and I, I noticed influence of some more recent alternative artists. Uh, I thought I detected that in there. Oh, you, you certainly did. I, I absorb, I absorb stuff from everybody that I look at. So, you know, I confess that you might see some clouds in there and things like that, but I just. Whatever I'm looking at sort of finds its way on the page in a way. There, there's a few particular panels in that Beatnik book where uh, I was reading uh, the, the Akira manga at the time. So there's like this Greyhound bus that's speeding away, and I, it just sort of looks a little like that. And it's kind of out of place from everything else, but hopefully it's not too distracting and hopefully it doesn't take the reader's attention away from the story. Uh, I, I didn't notice it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I didn't see any crazy little kid with big eyes jumping out. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. it's just like uh, I like the way that guy handles motion. I can really pick anything up, something up from from any artist. And uh, that that uh, Otomo guy, the, the way that he handles motion and things like that, it's like no other. Katashiro Otomo, I think. What that? Katashiro, is that it? Yes, yes, okay. yes. There we go. Um, Sorry, but yeah, yeah, like uh, there, there's plenty of. Even in Macedonia, I you know I read uh, I read uh, Louis Riel and uh, Louis Riel. Louis, <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm an ignorant American. That's <laughs> okay. Um, and and I think that uh, I studied a little too much Chester Brown while I was working on some of those panels. I'm not going to point them out though. Mm. Now, um, let's go. In, let's jump into Macedonia because I mean that's. That's an epic book. How many pages is, does it end up being? Uh, it ends up being there's a there's a pretty hardy epilogue that Heather writes. 
Um, I have a printer-proof copy right here. It's like 160 pages or so. Now, how is that for you going from uh, normally doing short stories and mini-comics um, to taking on this epic story? Um, it, was, it was definitely a very daunting thing. <clears throat> just in, in terms of my working relationship with Harvey, just to watch that grow is really interesting because um, there was a lot of scraping and clawing at the beginning. I was just trying to fight him to give me uh, you know, a suitable amount of pages in that hour movie yearbook. And uh, initially, he gave me he gave me a uh, four page strip, and he really wanted to see everything along the way. He needed to see the pencils. He wanted to see how I was pacing it, uh, and then uh, finally, with the inks, he wanted to check that out before I submitted it. And then uh, towards the end of the our movie yearbook, he realized that he was twenty four pages short, and he needed to have <laughs> he needed to bulk up the book some. So uh, he he called me up. Uh, days before my birthday, and he said, Ed, do you want to do a lot of work for me in a very, very, very short amount of time? (laughs) And uh, I was sleeping. It was early in the morning. I'm a nocturnal guy. I probably went to sleep three hours before he called. And I said yes, and then I said, what's the amount of time, what's the amount of pages that we're talking about here? And he said, I need... 24 pages in 28 days. Oh, my God. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I guess I'll just uh, celebrate my birthday in a few months or something like that. <laughs> I'll celebrate it after I finish the thing. So I did that, and, and uh, he still wanted to see the pencils, though. So it presented a kind of problem because I had to sort of draw, draw a bunch really fast, send it to him, and then ink it all within this 28-day time frame. Good Lord. And so I did it. I didn't get much sleep. I had... My first ever panic attacks uh, while uh, working on that thing. I pulled a few all-nighters within that month. But the point is, I got the thing done, and uh, I guess I guess I, it, I proved sort of reliable to the guy. So he, so he offered uh, me this graphic novel to draw, and um, I was excited about it. He mentioned Macedonia as the title, and I was thinking about. Alexander the Great or something like this. <laughs> that's what when you said the name t- to me, I was, that's the first thing I thought. I was like, "Oh right, some yeah. epic, you know." Yeah, it's, it'll be like Harvey P. Carr does three hundred. Well, that's it. Once again, I am an ignorant American, <laughs> and I didn't even know that the province of Macedonia existed. But um, he explained he explained the uh, the premise of the book further, and you know, I've never been out of this East Coast uh, time zone. I don't even know, like, uh, which side of the road these people drive on, or... I think they drive on the same side. Yeah, well, using Google image search, like, I answered a lot of my questions. But, um, you know, it was just sort of a daunting thing, and, and the way he was explaining it, it seemed pretty complex. And then when I got the script, I was sort of blown away because it needed to fit within about 150 pages of comics, and the script read like blankets, like it should have been 700 pages or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you take a look, that's why a lot of the panels, it's a pretty dense book. Uh, you know, a lot of pages have like 12 panels a page, a lot of dialogue and stuff. Um, well, w- would Harvey provide you with panel breakdowns? and? Uh... Uh, you know what, like, I, I really paced it myself. I, I guess the reason why I was speaking about our previous working relationship on the other book was because uh, on this one, 
he had enough confidence in me to give me sort of complete uh, carte blanche to do whatever uh, whatever I needed to to get it within the proper amount of pages. So he would do these panel breakdowns. And Colin, you 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 illustrated a few scripts for Harv. Uh, the stuff is basically hieroglyphics. <laughs> so I actually had a typed up version of the script that um, Heather Roberson, who's the main protagonist of the story, she she wrote some very she wrote like a, a pretty decent portion of the script. He, his main bulk of the uh, work was like editing, and and tweaking certain things. Um, but she had this typed version, so I pretty much just threw his his script away, and uh, and took a look at hers. You know, I, I omitted everything he needed omitted and sort of pasted it the same way. But some of his panels, I mean, there would just be this avalanche of dialogue. And, you know, you would have to squeeze, like, a little little midget head in the panel or something like that. It's like that issue of Schizo where Brunetti goes on his tangent, and there's just a little head at the bottom, there's a page of how much he hates everything. Yeah, is that the, he's, like, talking to Jesus or something like I that? I think so. <laughs> yeah, that's a great page. Um, uh, Macedonia is, is still pretty text-heavy. Yeah, 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 it's really text-heavy, but, uh, um, you know, I, I did sort of break it up because... I mean, there would just be paragraphs and paragraphs per dialogue balloon, and um, a lot of the way Harvey writes this, this stuff, um, it really is just talking heads. There's no explanation of time or place or anything like that. And Heather gave gave some indication in her script. So a lot of things that, like, like I, I sort of uh, paste the thing and try to give it some... Some sense of some sense of place. Uh, if you take a look at the first part of that book, there's essentially between Heather and her boyfriend. There's like a 13-page conversation. Mm-hmm. They're and, gardening and talking about world politics. Yeah, the the way that the script read, the way that Harvey's script read, it was literally just two stick stickmen talking back and forth, and the stickman with the little J on its head. That signifies hair on a Harvey P. Carr character. Uh, so that means that that's a, that's a female, so that would be <laughs> Heather. And then the other sick man was the boyfriend, and they would just be these talking heads back and forth, back and forth. So I tried to manipulate time a little bit by, by sort of showing the, the conversation as it went on throughout the day. I tried to make it seem like time was actually moving and tried to just break break up the monotony of these two characters talking back and forth. Um, so, yeah, that's I mean that's that's pretty much what I did. I he let me just do whatever whatever I wanted basically. And it's an enjoyable book. Um, I want to get more into it. We're gonna take a quick musical break. Sounds good. I'm gonna play the uh, Dead Milkman Dean Stream. Sound good? It's a good one. And then we'll get back in more d- discussion of Macedonia, because I have act- some questions about the research for yourself, learning um, a lot of stuff, and maybe some background for people to know what the what is the deal with Macedonia, <laughs> other than, you know, Alexander the Great some 2,500 years ago. <laughs> so. Sounds good, Robin. CITR Ink Studs. We'll be back.
That was uh, Dead Milkman Dean's Dream. Which album's that from? Uh, the first one, Big Lizard in My Backyard. Big Lizard in My Backyard. I love the Dead Milkman. <laughs> Bitchin' Camaro, Bitchin' Camaro. Yeah, that's that's that album, man. Drinkin' Bleach. Drinkin' Bleach is on uh, Beelzebub, I think. Yep. Yeah. So, Macedonia, we're talking to Ed Piscor. Is it Piscor? Piscor, yep. Okay. It just sounds, I don't know. Rude? Yeah. Kind of. What's that? It just sounds rude when I say it. I'm sorry, you were breaking up? I'm sorry, it just sounds rude when I say it. Oh, don't... Sw- <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so, Macedonia. Um, so, for listeners that don't know about Macedonia, I guess uh, the best comparison, it's basically uh, yourself and Picar doing um, Safe Fairy Garage by Joe Sacco. Is that a closest? I guess that's the closest comparison. He makes that comparison within the book too. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's one of these things where if people look at the title and they expect a Joe Sacco sort of story, we just it's gonna fall flat on its face. We're gonna fail miserably. <laughs> uh, and and let me just say that that Heather was a big part in the creation of this book too. You know, she she wrote a lot of this thing, and she did all the research. And I mean, she, it's yeah, it's her there. it's her story really. I guess. It is. It is her story. And so it's filtered through Harvey and myself, who are a couple provincial guys who, you know, have, have no idea about that place whatsoever. So it's not go- going to be the intimate sort of journalistic approach that Sacco has whatsoever. That's not, that's not the story that we're, we're telling here. And... Uh, it's it's also it doesn't there's not uh it's not a violent thing it's it's more of kind of i don't know i i i guess i guess that's that's the point of it though it's not a violent thing and that's kind of the point that there isn't violence but there's the uh the possibility well right right there's sort of all the ingredients of a war are there there's potential there's there's tension there's there's uh there's arguments there's it, it's it's a it's a it's a tense place, but the point is that that um maybe war isn't always inevitable. May, maybe it's not bound to happen. May, and she the reason why this girl went to Macedonia was to explore these ideas and see what these people were doing to maintain a relatively peaceful existence. Whenever she you know she went to uh to uh, school at Berkeley. And uh, she studied peace and conflict uh, studies, I think is mm-hmm. what the course was. And she would get into these heated debates with her professors, who, who they all said that war is inevitable, it's always bound to happen, it always ends up happening, it's sort of human nature. And she would always bring up the idea of uh, uh, the Macedonia province, and, um, and they would just sort of poo-poo her ideas and just say, oh, it's, it, but it's bound to happen. You know, it's just a matter of time. Mm-hmm. She went there, she did research. Uh, it's still a tense place, but there's still, you know, there, there hasn't been war yet. When, when you were working on the project, you know, late into the night and, and inking and drawing, uh, did you ever, like, just dread hearing the news that Macedonia had melted down while you were still working on the project? Uh, of course, uh, just just being a, a, a human being, I really, I don't want anything bad to happen, but t- 
to, to be real cynical, if something was to happen, then when people hear the word Macedonia, they're not going to think about Alexander the Great. They're going to be thinking about the real place. So uh, in a real crass and disgusting way, the book might actually sell pretty good if that <laughs> something bad was to happen, but I don't wish that to happen. Then. <laughs> <laughs> now, just to give uh, listeners a background, Macedonia, uh, the, conf- the the simmering conflict, it's uh, neighboring Greece and Ser- Albania, uh, Albania and, and Serbia, and Serbia. So there's a whole bit of tension there. Greece claims it's you know kind of. I think Bulgaria wants a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the former Yugoslavia, and everybody sort of took a chunk. But the, but the main the main conflict is between uh, like ethnic ethnic Macedonian people. And uh, the Albanian minority, that's almost not even a minority. Yeah, from what it seems like, it's two, two nations in one state. Yeah. Yeah, it pretty much is. But, but you know, um, there's a lot of Christian imagery everywhere, so... Like the, so, uh... You know, it's like that, that just sort of segregates people and... Well, the, the Albanians are Muslims? Yes. Uh-huh. What's the big cross in the town? Did you get a the picture? Greek Orthodox, I think. Okay. The, the big cross, that, that's basically uh, something, you know, I'm, I'm just the artist, and, and I educated myself to some extent, but I could be getting some things wrong. But uh, the way that it was explained to me, and from what I gather, it was put there to sort of, uh, just to, like, put it in place so that the Albanians had to deal with it, you know? Go ahead and be a Muslim, but you got to stare at this big cross on this mountain. You but, know, this big cross is looking down upon you. Mm. And that's it, pretty much what it is. Shoving it in the peeps' faces. That's it. Now, when is Macedonia supposed to be released? Because now that it is actually finished, and uh, you're on to your next uh, epic. Uh, what's the what, what, it, what is Macedonia? No, no, no what, the the book. When is the book being released? Oh, the book is being released. June 26th of 2007. Oh, okay. Really soon. I thought it might be uh, a longer wait than that, but a month and a half. No, you know what? It's supposed to, it was supposed to come out, in, initially it was supposed to come out two days ago, <laughs> but, but Harvey just um, had that trade paperback of that American Splendor miniseries from DC. Mm-hmm. That just came out uh, in April, so, you know, he, they don't want too much of his stuff competing on the racks, which is good for us, because this is kind of an esoteric project, so if if you know you've seen Macedonia on the shelf, right next to an American Splendor book that already has like sort of the name brand, and you have twenty bucks, you're probably going to pick up the uh, the American Splendor book. So it's kind of a smart move to to stall these releases out a little bit. Now, how long did that take you, the Macedonia work? Uh, it took me uh, fourteen months of steady every single day. Uh, just doing the artwork, penciling and inking. Um, a lot of Googling of images? A lot of Googling of images. Heather, thankfully, took a trip to Macedonia again and sort of retraced her steps uh, through photographs. Um, but, but she didn't really take these pictures with, with a cartoonist's eye. So, so they, they were helpful, but they weren't, they weren't great. Um, and she sort of drew, like, rudimentary blueprints of um, the layouts of the insides of certain buildings and things like that. Um, But what was fantastic was that um, when a particular building was spoken about, 
she named the exact building or where it was or something like this, and I was able to, to specifically, you know, in Google, uh, write what the building was called. And uh, I could probably, nine times out of ten, find a reasonable image of what I needed. So, uh, so that, wasn't, that wasn't so bad. It's just, you know, it's a little extra work on the back end, but, but comics in general, I mean, reference is required if you, if you don't want to be a hack. Well, what about the people she interviewed? I a lot of these guys were sort of made up. She 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 didn't um, provide me with too much reference for for them. She gave kind of like a real re- reader's digest kind of description, like you know, just a few words. The guy has black hair, shaved shaved head, uh, glasses, blah blah blah, just a little things. So I had some some free reign to to play around with that, um, but only a few a uh, few people I had reference for. Um, we're getting to about 20 or so minutes left, so I, I want to cover some of your other books, okay. some of your mini-comics, um, because this is an interview with you, and also I want to talk about the Beats book a bit. Sure. Um, so maybe we'll talk about the Beats book, because that is also with Harvey, and then let's talk about your books. Um, so tell us about the Beat books. Is it is it going to be as long as Macedonia at the end? Uh, it's going uh, to be about 200 pages, but I'm not the only guy working on it. I'm, I'm working on... Uh, you know, I said it's going to be about 200 pages, so I'm doing about 120 pages. Um, a couple other, well, a couple well-known cartoonists are going to be doing strips in there. I think Mary Fleener is going to be doing one or two. Oh, nice. Uh, oh. Peter Cooper. We're big fans of Mary Fleener. Yeah, she's great. Peter Cooper's awesome. Did, did you see her work in that Mineshaft magazine that I sent you? Yes. Yeah, she's pretty awesome. We actually, she was one of the first interviews we did on the show. Hey, man, I was going through the archive and uh, listening to these things, <laughs> and I was kind of laughing. I was like, wow, man, these guys, they, they interviewed Seth, Chester Brown, Jaime Hernandez, and now uh, they interviewed so many people that they have to interview me now, man. <laughs> like, I guess, I guess when the guy who does the comic strip uh, drabble starts doing interviews again, man, he should be easily available to you. Oh, no, don't say that, just playing, just playing. No, no, I like, you know, it's... Drabble? Drabble. Yeah, it's not in too many papers. I like to get a balance, you know, like Seth, luckily Seth came to town, Chester came to town, and Joe Saka came to town. So all those I was able to, we were actually able to, to sit with them. Um, but I like to keep a balance of, you know, the big names and then, you know, the up-and-comers like yourself. And then the occasional little guy that just does mini-comics because I think, you know, nah, there's so I'm, much I'm, I'm just I'm just breaking balls, man. <laughs> I'm just busting your balls. <laughs> just busting your balls. Um, so the beats, it's... Uh, it's a history of the beats, I guess. Um, so the part you're doing, are you focusing on Kerouac, or you're focusing on a certain period, and everyone's doing a different period of beat history? Uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm doing a, a sort of broad highlight of the entire movement, I guess, is the best way to describe it. So the chapter that I sent you is the Kerouac portion of the book. I have about ten more pages to go on the Allen Ginsberg portion, and then there's going to be a, another hearty portion on William S. Burroughs, and then uh, there's a bunch of two-page or two- to four-page strips that we're doing that are going to highlight some more peripheral characters of that movement, and uh, then it's going to be sprinkled with some essays from um, different professors that Harv knows, uh, 
and uh, just just some other people who who write about beat literature. So it should be a pretty a pretty cool uh, pretty cool item whenever it's done. I'm about halfway finished with with my section of the thing, and um, we need to have this in by Labor Day. So I think they're shooting for very early next year uh, for a release on that. Were you familiar with the Beats before you started this project? Uh, in, a, in, a, in a matter of speaking, I, I read uh, On the Road, and I knew I knew the guys. Uh, to be to be honest, I'm I'm more of a fan of these guys as people, and more of, of a fan of just like the lives they led than the actual work that they did. I I'm. I'm just a blue-collar kid, man. I, I think some of that stuff might just be over my head or something like that. I don't really uh, relate to a lot of that. But they're certainly interesting people, and uh, the comic is pretty fun. There's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of drugs, <laughs> drinking. A lot of drinking. Cra- crazy imagery, some, some gay sex. I was actually really surprised about the focus on uh, Kerouac in the gay sex, speaking gay sex, and on the Picard's focus of the... Kerouac getting on with the boys because in my own reading of beat stuff they don't really talk about that all they talk about Ginsburg being obsessed with Kerouac but not um you know getting a blowjob yeah giving him a blumpkin um you know what there, there was that was actually a hoop a little bit of a hoopla about that I mean I had to wait to start drawing the thing because uh at the company and this book this book is going to be getting uh printed by uh Farrer, Strauss and Giroux they they um, distribute a lot of drawn and quarterly stuff here in the states, but um, these these guys uh, who who work for that company sort of went over the script and and they were they weren't too sure how they wanted to approach this because I guess Harv found a few obscure places where it was actually referenced and people did talk about it, but he had to he had to sort of come forward with a bunch of with a bunch of uh, articles and things to explain that, like, yeah, Kerouac, you know, Kerouac did uh, dabble in an occasional male blowjob every now and again. Um, but, yeah, uh, that, that was just, that was a bone of contention with the company. So these are the, the guys who print up the books? They're the publishers. Oh, the, the publishers. The publisher, yeah. Oh. Yeah, my bad. Uh, I, I got it. Excuse me. <laughs> um, so that'll be coming out in the spring, probably next year, realistically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, peop- fans of the beat, like myself, will get a lot out of it. It's uh, t- you can tell a lot of uh, research and work has gone into uh, putting it together. There, there really was, uh, and this company is really on the ball. Um, you know, we the Macedonia book is coming out through uh, a Random House imprint called Villard, which I which I never heard of. Um, but they these guys they they weren't as on the ball. They they wanted to change a whole lot of stuff at the end, and even whenever they were going into post production, just getting the book together, I, I get an email from the editor, and he he asks me, "Yeah, um, can you please send that font that you lettered?" there's a few things we need to change and i just laughed in the guy's face i said i drew you know i wrote that by hand man what are you talking about font um but these these people 
at Farrer, Strauss, and Giroux are really cool. They're really on the ball. Harv delivered the script. They had people type the thing up. These editors went over it with a fine-tooth comb, and for the reasons that I explained, certain things were changed. Other things were toned down a bit. And then they got the script exactly the way they want it, and they delivered it to me to draw. So it's, it's very painless at this point. You know, I'm about halfway done with the thing. My 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 tone can change. Uh, you know, as this thing uh, heads towards final production. But um, yeah, a lot of a lot of care is going into this. A lot of care went into Macedonia as well. Don't get me wrong, but it's just like we had to we had to act as our own editors in a lot of ways too on that. This is more of a creative flow than. Uh Macedonia is more of a labor-intensive, I guess. Yeah, very labor-intensive. I'm looking at the thing now, and I sort of can't believe I did it in a way. And that's not to say that I think it's great or good or anything like that. There's just a lot of pencil mileage per page, man. And, uh, you know, my eyes got progressively worse while drawing that thing. I don't think I could do that again. But it was a great experience. The thing with this Beatnik book that's a little different is that... um, it's almost sort of like uh, illustrated prose in a way. Like uh, each panel sort of doesn't really relate with the next or the previous one. They tell completely different. They, they tell us a, a story about a completely different chunk of time. Years can go by between panels, so it's just it's a, it's an interesting deviation from what we did on the Macedonia book. Well, at least you have more room to for the artwork to breathe. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and I'm trying new things out. You know, I'm really working on composition and um, try, trying to design a good page with this project. I'm just trying to do different things all the time. Now, um, let's talk a bit about your minis. Got about uh, ten minutes left. I want to make sure, you know, because you are actually a pretty damn good writer yourself. I quite enjoyed your mini comics. Uh, I bet you say that to all the boys. <laughs> Only the pretty I assure ones. you, I assure you, he does not. Oh, I'm a bit of a bastard. Um, you have a big thing for Kevin Mitlick. Yeah, yes, I do. That's that's something that I'm working on uh, on my own, um, and I I hope to. Hey, that's that's it's real early to talk about. People could go to the website and read the strips, but yeah, I'm producing uh, a hacker graphic novel, a graphic novel about a guy who has. The ability to to uh, acquire subversive information for his own purposes, and, uh, and whenever whenever I have some free time, I just invest it in in putting that together. And I'm actually I sent some submissions to the various companies, Fanographics, D and Q, Top Shelf, and uh, haven't heard anything back. So I don't know that my writing is that great, dude. Ah, <laughs> uh, they're elitist snobs. <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> Keep putting out good books. Um, I, I, I think uh, you, you'd be actually probably a natural fit for something like uh, Top Shelf or Oni. I think, um, but I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily the same styles of stuff for uh, for Fanta or Drawn and Quarterly. Yeah, who That's knows my how own. these things work, man? You just you just do the work. You try to do a good comic. If somebody picks it up, fine. If not, there are other avenues. I no. could go for a Zurich grant, uh, and if I don't get that, there's stuff locally here. There's this thing in Pittsburgh called the Sprout Fund that that I could uh, try to get a grant for to produce the thing. So I'm not I'm not sweating it. It's I'm not going to worry about that. I'm just going to do it and see what happens. Now the story I, I was going to get back to Kevin Mitlick. I think it's pretty interesting uh, as far as the character. It's pretty interesting. You, there's a lot to draw from. 
from kind of what he's gone through for his own uh, kind of curiosity. Yeah, you know, and, and it's not just him. There, it's a, that character is a, uh, it's a composite of a lot of different uh, computer hackers from, from you know, the, the 80s and 90s. Whenever I was working on Macedonia, uh, I was just starving for some, some, something different to listen to while working on the book, and uh, I listened to the entire archive of this, this radio show called Off the Hook, and it was this thing uh, that has been going on since, since sort of the pre-internet, like, mm. you know, after I listened to a few months' worth of shows, they just started talking about this thing called the internet, and you could go to, you could go to a college and sign up, and you could try this thing. And um, I just followed uh, these epic tales of all these hacker guys who were friends of this radio show, and I became really interested uh, in, in, in that whole sort of subculture. Um, listened to the entire archive while I was doing the book. There were a, a bunch of books at the local library that highlight these guys. And they, a lot of these dudes, Kevin Mitnick, there's this other guy, Kevin Polson, um, a couple other people, they all have a lot of the same psychological traits. And I thought that it would just be a cool idea to, to sort of cram them all into one. So certain things that happened to one guy are explored using my, that character. And uh, the same goes for uh, any other number of hackers that I decided to steal from. So W Y S I W Y G is part one of eight. So this is is that your expected length of the series is to be an eight part? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. And and honestly, the way the way that you see it, and I, I made many of those things. I, I sent them to different stores, and you can get them through me if you go to the, my website www.edpiscor.com. P I S K O R. Yeah, that's listeners. it. Um, but the way that you're seeing that many isn't quite the way that that I want it to finally be presented. Um, the format I, I chose is a real malleable one because I drew uh, the thing in four-panel segments, sort of like uh, a daily strip. Okay. And the way I envision it is um, it, each page to have 12 panels per page and to be sort of the, like a magazine format, like the old Love and Rockets uh, books. Mm-hmm. And with 12 panels a page, so what you're looking at there is pretty much, that's, that's just the, the first half of, like, issue one. Oh, uh, <laughs> you see, so... so uh, you, you don't do many things that are short, do you? What's that? You, you don't do many things that are short. Nah. All <laughs> <laughs> Deviant Funnies is uh, chock full of short goodness. Yeah, that's the stuff that I sent to Harv, and, uh, you know, he got in touch with me and was like, hey, you know what? You're sort of getting better. And I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> thanks. Now, is that some of your earliest stuff, the Deviant Funnies, or? Yeah, you know what? I really regret not drawing comics forever. You know, I was sort of intimidated by by the medium in a way, and I drew forever. But to, those were really like the first uh, real stories that I that I put together, and uh, that's a big regret that I have just just not drawing comics. You know, since I was seven or something like that. And uh, it's kind of neat. For for that one, you kind of play around with the uh, the pointillist style. Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, Colin? yeah. You know, pointillism. That, pointillism. Yeah. I used to, when I was a kid, I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be Drew Friedman, real bad. Like like I I thought that um, his comics were just some weird kind of Photoshop 
<laughs> sort of thing, but then I realized that, that he did that by hand, and I thought the guy was completely insane, and then I figured I'd give it a shot, and then I knew that the dude was completely insane, and I quit doing that, man. I was, I was burned out for like a year uh, after doing like 10, diff- 10 different drawings. You know, that, that, the cover of that Deviant Funnies one, that took me like two weeks, man. <laughs> <laughs> the neat thing about Drew Friedman's stuff, if you see the original, is he does it at, at exact same size. size. Yeah, yeah. Same with uh, Rene French. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've seen some of his work. Um, when I was at the Kubert School, our lettering teacher was this guy named Phil Felix. And Phil Felix is a cool guy. He, he pops up in a lot of mainstream comics, but he was an assistant with... Uh, uh, Kurtzman and Elder on Little Annie Fanny towards, oh, nice. towards the mm. end of the uh, the run, but he's also uh, Drew Friedman's uh, letterer. Whenever you see that stuff in Mad or Entertainment Weekly or something like that, like Drew, uh, this this guy Phil does the lettering for him, and uh, so I, I got the chance to see him working on these things, and uh, not not I, I got the chance to see Phil working lettering. Uh, these these Friedman pages, and I was uh, just blown away by seeing that stuff in real life. I, I don't think uh, Drew Friedman is doing totally pointless now. No, he's not. He's doing, no, he's doing a lot of wash. Yeah, he's doing a lot of wash. He, I, in fact, uh, I did that stuff in art school, and uh, Phil took made Xeroxes, and he showed it to Friedman, and I got a uh, a postcard from the guy, and uh, Drew, Drew wrote to me, he said, um, I'm going to tell you the same thing that Will Eisner told me at... Uh, at uh, SVU or wherever the hell that he went to school. Um, no, SVA, the School of Visual Arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Eisner said, drop the dots. You're completely <laughs> crazy and you don't need them. <laughs> so he said that to me, man, and I took that to heart because my wrist was starting to fill it. <laughs> drop the dots. Drop the dots, man. Drop the dots. And I guess... I guess it probably took a toll on his eyeballs too, man. Um, now the other couple other mini comics, you've got the stuff in Mineshaft, which uh, I had one issue. Actually, I had one of the ones that you'd sent me. I picked it up from uh, Pete Bag, a little name yeah, drop there Ooh. at the Emerald City Con, which was quite like the uh, Con U experience, where it was a whole lot of superheroes and a couple of good tables. Yeah, so I took a picture with this kid who was dressed up like SpongeBob SquarePants, only he was like a Silent Bob SquarePants or something like that. He had a beard and a backwards hat. <laughs> it was a nightmare. This is a kid? It was a nightmare, man. <laughs> but yeah, so you're you're aware of that Mineshaft mag? That's, it's that, so that's, neat. Yeah, that's cool, man. That, that slips under a lot of people's radar. No, we get it at our local comic shop. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I just never gotten around to picking it up. Um, but like you're doing something with Jay Lynch in there. Yeah, yeah, you know what, that stuff, that material is really old. All this stuff happened really at sort of at the same time, whenever Harv got in touch with me, this, this Jay Lynch cat got in touch with me, and I'm, I'm a big fan of his, his nard and patch strips mm-hmm. from the old undergrounds and things. And um, he was telling me these little anecdotal stories about he and his cartoonist buddies, and I just thought this stuff was fantastic, yeah, and I was, I just said, let me draw some stuff. You know, th- these are, this is comic book material, man. And he, he wrote some, some strips, and he drew some roughs that he wanted me to work from. Um, and I sort of just translated it my way. The roughs that he did are completely 
publishable and printable, by the way. I mean, they're fantastic, but he's just like a real, he's, he's sort of psychotic about the stuff. He wants to take a zillion years and really like tighten it up. But um, all that stuff was done in like 2003, probably. And we sent it to Top Shelf. They, it was a go project. They wanted to print the thing. Um, but we only had 17 pages, and Lynch, Lynch was doing, uh, he's doing stuff for, for Tops, you know, the, the little card company, mm-hmm. uh, doing like uh, Garbage Pail Kids, Wacky Packages. Which seems to be the destination of many fine artists. Mark uh, Newgarden and Art Spiegelman did those in the 80s. Yep, yep. and, and Lynch, has, Lynch has been doing those things since that time, <laughs> and he's always been working for them. But the point is, is that uh, they're paying decent cash, and he wasn't cool with, uh, you know, making speculative money on this project. So he he wasn't able to uh, get around to write to, to write the the second half of the book. Um, so, you know, we sort of like the material is just being printed in Mineshaft, which is which is great. I'm glad it's getting a chance to see the light of day. Um, the next issue, that I'm not exactly sure when that's coming out, but that's like the big. Art Spiegelman issue. He's contributing, and just by chance, uh, uh, Jay Lynch and I did a did a story that involves he and Spiegelman whenever they they were punk kids in uh, New York or Chicago or something like that. And of course, Spiegelman will have the vest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Did I put him a vest on him? Oh, I don't and, remember. And chain smoking. Uh, this is this is probably pre. Pre-black lung, man. Oh. <laughs> it's hard to imagine Art Spiegelman without his cigarettes. Uh, eh, what can you do, man? <laughs> now, the, the the one other thing I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna promote that you're in. Um, I finally got a copy. Uh, Robin Bougie gave me a copy of this. The Porn Hounds, number yeah, one. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. That was it, that's probably pretty early stuff of yours too, because that came out I think in 2004. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's. Man, we, we drew that a long time ago. But there's some good cartoonists in that. Like, that's how I got acquainted with uh, Robin Bougie's artwork. It has, like, some Sophie Crumb, like a one-pager in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, my pal Jim Rugg, he's another guy that lives here in Pittsburgh, and he's a fantastic cartoonist. You ever see Street Angel? No. A comic called Street Angel through Sil- Oh, Save it sounds Labor. really familiar. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, seek it out, man. It's worth checking out. I shall check it out at the comic store later yeah. today can't miss it man just look for the pink covers probably the only pink covers in the comic store <laughs> he Th- designed it that way thank you so much for joining us hey very this cool week, it was Ed. Great speaking with you guys it was awesome and i uh, look forward to actually getting a real copy of macedonia when it comes out june 21st uh june 26th 26th sorry that's it i don't know why cool. I said 21st. okay thank you very much and have a good eve i'll very, be in touch very cool colin please email me i'd like to trade some comics with you man sure i'm gonna thing. send colin your email address as soon as the show's done Awesome, thanks. Thanks, Take Ed. Care. See you guys. Bye. 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 That was Ed Piscor. Um, awesome, awesome artist. Uh, he is a young, new, and up-and-coming. Um, I think it's really neat stuff. You like it too, Colin? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Colin, for joining me this week. It's been a while. It's always nice to have the Upton. Well, whatever, whenever I can, can contribute to the whenever, show. Whenever your services are needed. That's right. I'm here. Now I'm going to remind people there's some stuff going on in town. Um, there's an art show Colin was telling me about before, that which I didn't realize. Uh, oh, uh, the Gem Gallery that uh, on Broadway near Maine is having a show of very cartoony type uh, artwork by Mark Mothersbaugh of Devo, for so, those of you old enough to remember. I think that's uh, well worth checking out. 
Yes, it's these are basically it's uh, there's an article in the New Georgia Strait about it, and they're basically postcard images that well that, that he's drawn and the sort of stream of consciousness, very cartoony stuff. And actually, I walked by yesterday as they're setting it up, and I was like, "Wow, this is neat." Yeah, I don't know who it was, so I, I'm going to be definitely out to check that out. Probably uh, when the cool kids are there between nine and ten. Uh, yeah, I think the you should check with the gem, but or the article. I believe the opening is on Friday. They usually um, are for I, I should warn you that Mark Mothersbaugh is not going to be there because he's in China adopting a sight impaired child. Good for you, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't make another Devo uh, 2.0. Oh, come on. Um, I'm just going to give people a heads up. The uh, Book and Comic Emporium, they're moving at the end of June. June 30th, and I did not know this. I went down there on a lark last week to do some, you know, ah, downtown. I haven't been here in a while. They're having a massive sale. Mm. All their stuff is 50% off. So all the trade paperbacks, 50% off. Isn't it... Oh, just just one other thing. Um, isn't it Free Comics Day on Wednesday? On Saturday? I was going to get... Oh, sorry. sorry. So, if you want to save some money, go check out the book and comic emporium. Say hi to Skip. Go uh, pet Rascal the Cat. and uh, Try and cards. help them find a new home while you're at it. Yeah. I don't know where they're planning on moving. I think they might move to Granville Broadway or something. I don't know. Uh, I talked to Skip on the phone yesterday. He said he was trying to find a place on Broadway. Yeah. So let's let's hope all the best for uh, Skip and company. Uh, Book and Comic Emporium have been supporters of comics for years. Not necessarily uh, the independent stuff recently, but when they were in the old space, they were pretty solid for supporting independent stuff. And as Colin was saying, Saturday is free comic day. So any comic store has free comics for you on Saturday. Um, don't grab them all. Don't be greedy. Grab the ones you'd like. Mm-hmm. I always hate I I helped out. I actually ran a comic store last year for free comic and it's got annoyed by people like i want this, this, this it's just just grab a couple you know there's it, it's it's for the kids but it's also for people that don't necessarily read comics as much grab a couple comics there's there's gonna be a couple things you're interested if you're not into teen titans then don't grab the teen titans comic is that do i sound pissy colin well i mean you could look at it in one way that somebody might it's it's a sampling thing so you might find something that you weren't familiar with before that you uh, discovered on Free Comic Day, but of course, I if think you, know, you probably you like know it. enough to know if you want the Teen Titans or not. You probably know that enough about yourself. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. And uh, com. up next is uh, Crimes and Treasons. Where are they, anyway? Oh, is that no one of them? Idea. Is that one of them? Uh, I think it is. Okay, so I'm going to end off with Public Enemy. Uh, war at 33 to the third. What, what? Okay, uh... Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. Uh, ink studs. Bye-bye.
Standish. Wow. Standish. Wow. Just 